Our text this morning is Psalm 46. Psalm 46, which I'll read in its entirety. To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Salah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Salah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Salah. Lord, we give you thanks that we can approach your throne knowing that you are our Father and you are our Defender. You are our Lord and you are our fortress in whom we can take refuge. And so we pray now that by your Spirit you would make these things known to us, that indeed we may fear not. Amen. Does um, everybody remember the year 2020? That happened about 100 years ago, you may recall. Uh, when, and, and that was the year when we had the pandemic started. Uh, the, the, the COVID-19 pandemic started around March, and then we went into lockdown, and then summer came, and then everybody acted crazy. You may recall, uh, the, the people you don't like acted crazy, right? The people you vote against and are your you know, sworn political enemies, they acted crazy, but then so did your team as well. Uh, just in different times. During the summer, everything went nuts in different ways. And then, of course, we had the election, uh, the presidential election, and then we had the storming of the Capitol on January 6, 2021. Now, as people look back on those times and as we continue to deal with the effects of it a little bit, um, or a lot of it, there are different theories that I've heard, different interpretations. What I hear from a lot of people is that it's the other team's fault. You know, whatever, whatever was happening that was because those people were being bad, right? They were bad, and so therefore we had to take reasonable steps. This is wrong. This is wrong. Even if you believe it firmly, that is incorrect. Uh, one of the advantages, one of the superpowers that I have is that I teach history. And if you teach history, knowing history is like a superpower, uh, because while history may not repeat, this is now what historians say, history doesn't actually repeat. It may not repeat, but what history teaches you is that people always act the same way. 
Which is to say, whenever there's a pandemic, people go nuts. Uh, if you don't believe me, just very to take one example of pandemic in Western history, the Black Death. Most of you all who went to school are familiar with the Black Death, the, the plague that swept across Europe. Lots of people died. I can't remember the percentages. A huge percentage of the population died. What is, what is not known as well, what people don't remember as well, is that that time was accompanied by massive political upheavals and religious upheavals within the Roman Catholic Church. Even though the Roman Catholic Church was the one church at the time, there were still all these various preaching movements, things that nowadays we would associate with Pentecostalism, revivalism, there were religious wars, there were people acting frantic and crazy, just like happened in this country, and the reason is that people were afraid. What a pandemic does is tell you with extreme clarity that you are going to die. This is a fact that most people like to pretend isn't true. But it is true. Unless Jesus comes back, you are going to die. And when the government says, everybody stay in your house because otherwise we're all going to die, people start freaking out. And why do people freak out? It's because they're afraid of death. Death is what we're afraid of, fundamentally. People can kill you. You might die. You might get sick. The enemy might come after you. All of these things. And so people freak out, to put it mildly. They act in strange and peculiar ways. Now that is to be expected. Because that's what people are. Fundamentally, human beings go through life believing that they are in control. I can control things. And that's why you have, on the one hand, people who think that if I rise early in the morning and eat a healthy breakfast and exercise and take my vitamins, I'm going to live forever. And on the other hand, you have people who spend all of their time worrying because they realize that if they just, that there's things that, they're, that they can't control, but if they worry about it enough, they can sort of exercise psychic control over it, right? Both of those people think that they can fix everything in the world, but of course they can't. We're afraid. People are afraid of death. They're afraid. And what, 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 what worries me, or what bothers me, not worries me, what bothers me most when I think about 2020 and 2021, when I think of the way people acted, is that very many people who identify themselves as Christians acted just like everybody else with the rioting and the full-on freakout. Because Christians, of all people, should be the last people to become frantic, become worried and anxious, and to go into that anxiety and the activity and the running around mode. That is where Psalm 46 comes in. Psalm 46 says to a church which is tempted to be afraid, which is, attempt, which is tempted to give in to fear, to instead not be frantic, but to be still, to be still because the Lord is your God. And so our text begins by talking about our God and talking about our God in the context of the fact that the earth shakes 
The earth, verse 2, the earth gives way, the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. The earth does, in fact, give way. One of the things I am most thankful for in my life is having lived through uh, an earthquake, two earthquakes, back to back in um, Northridge back in 92, uh, Northridge, California in 1992. I, I don't recommend it, but it was, a, it, was, it, it was honestly one of the most, it, it was a profoundly formative experience uh, because there's, the first earthquake came when we were asleep inside, I want to say six in the morning, and then the room started shaking, and that woke us up, my roommate and our, my other roommates, and, 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 and then later on, we were outside, and the sec- a secondary earthquake or a tremor, I don't know what you call because this is why I don't live in California, because I can't deal with this stuff, uh, but, but, but we're outside, and the ground starts moving again. Now, why this was great, in retrospect, is because it really messed me up. If you've never been through an earthquake before, I don't know how to get you to understand the reality of it. It's not just that the ground shakes. Everybody's like, well, yeah, okay, you know, I think I've, I've had that experience, ground shakes, you know, like I've been on bridges or whatever that moves, and maybe, you know, a big truck comes by the building, whatever, or somebody's playing his bass way too loud, whatever it is, you know, feel things shaking. Like, yeah, I know what that is. Like, no, you don't. Especially if you're in a building, that's one thing, because we kind of know that buildings are not permanent edifices. At some point, they're all going to come down. But the ground itself, to be standing outside and to feel the ground moving is the most disorienting experience that I can imagine. It's certainly the most that I've ever had, because the ground is not supposed to move. Right? I mean, that's, that, and I say that, you're like, well, well, yeah, that's a really profoundly obvious thing to say. But yes, right? You don't even think about it. You don't think about the fact that the ground could move because it doesn't move. The ground always stays still. And when that thing moves, you start questioning the nature of reality itself. You, I, honestly, it is right at that moment you think the ground is moving. I know nothing. There is no reality. I'm not sure about gravity. I don't know about anything else. I don't even know if my name is still my name. I'm not kidding. For real. Your sense of reality is permanently, is not permanent. I think I've come back to reality. But your sense of reality is really shaken, at least at that moment. That's what an earthquake does. And that's what's going on. And that's why the psalmists here talk about this. We will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Stuff like that happens. And stuff like that happens, of course, not only literally. Uh, we've seen, any, you've, you've seen, even if you haven't lived through an earthquake, you've seen natural disasters on the television or the YouTube or whatever it is that the kids are using these days. You've seen all of these pictures and these images of natural disaster, but we've also seen uh, societies change, like a pandemic. A pandemic is, is uh, an encapsulation of, of this kind of thing, of this massive social upheaval. Everything changes, right? One week, everybody's, you're packing lunches and the kids are going off to school and you're going to work and then come Monday, everybody's sitting around the house and you're afraid to go outside because somebody might sneeze. Same thing with war. I, you know, I, I think about a lot about, I'm, I'm not picking on anybody, but, but I think a lot about how Americans 
are really focused on the war in Ukraine. And like, why? Because there's wars all the time on this planet. So why is that the war that's really messing with us? And I think it's, it's, it's I think you think about it, and this is, this is because Ukraine looks a lot like America. And they've got stores and coffee shops and hipsters with the soul patches. I mean, they've got all that stuff, and then all of a sudden, rockets come, and it's all blown up. And you suddenly realize, as you're looking at that footage, if that could happen to them, maybe it could happen to us. It's deeply disturbing. And so wars and pandemics have that immediate effect of the earth shaking, everything changing, this total disorientation. It, but, but the same thing has been happening, of course, in our culture over the last 50 years. Uh, go back to the 60s and 70s with the institution of no-fault divorce and how families have been fractured. It's one of the biggest problems in our society today, in our in American culture today, is the state of the family. And if, if you don't believe me, talk to any pastor. Fifty years ago, I don't know what the major preoccupation of, ministers, of, of pastors were, but I can tell you this. I've talked to a lot of them in my day, in my time, and we are all have been preoccupied with the struggle of keeping marriages together. It is one of the major things that pastors have to focus on because in our society it is no longer a given. That wasn't the case 50, 60 years ago. And that damage that has been done, that wreckage that has been wrought in the American family has then had all these knock-on effects. And a lot of our problems, I think, as a culture can be traced back to that origin that the family unit is no longer stable. Obviously, it is, that's a complex issue, but one thing right there, that's that right there has, has had this major impact and has changed the way the society has worked. I think about when I was ordained... Um, in 1999, and I really, I had this, I thought to myself, I don't think I said it out loud, but I thought to myself, well, I have now become square. Like, the, I don't know if the young people use that term anymore, like, whatever it is you call, like, the, 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 the person who you know, has a top button and the pocket protector, I really hope people still wear those. Um, but I'm going to become a Presbyterian pastor, like, by definition, right, the most uptight person on the planet. Like, there's just nobody who is more behind the times, who is more, like, upholder of, 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 the, of the status quo than a Presbyterian pastor. And in the 25 years since that, since I, since I entered the ministry, I have gone from being the most square, conservative person in the world, imaginable in America, to becoming a radical right-winger who stands against all things that good people believe in. Because I haven't changed, right? But, but, I'm, but, now, uh, but now, not only is homosexuality normal, we have gay marriage, and if you think that that's immoral, you are a hateful, horrible person who is trying to destroy America, right? So I went from being the most normal person possible to being a thought criminal. The world changed around me, and if you've been through this time period, that's how it feels. How it feels to, to, if, if, to, to have, have this 
over the, over the course, if you're my age or, or even a little older, a little younger, everything has changed. Everything has been upended. And the culture changed. The culture is changing constantly. And it's not just out there, right? It's also in here. Over the last several years, as the, as the, I've been thinking about sexual abuse and spiritual abuse and abuse of power, what has become more clear than ever is that that is not an out there problem. That is not a Hollywood problem or a politician's problem. It's a in here problem. It's a, it's a problem in the, most, in, in the most faithful of churches. Right? Not, not the unfaithful churches, the faithful churches. With the good preaching and the good pastors and the good elders and the good people. Those churches we are finding out now and are realizing more and more on a daily basis are full of spiritual abuse and power abuse and, and sexual abuse. All of these things are going on and it feels as though the earth is giving way. What can we rely upon? What is our foundation? It is in that world, the world in which we live, that verse 1 speaks, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. He continues to be our refuge, the one to whom we can flee for protection. He is our strength. He is the one who helps us. He is the one who guards us and protects us. And so you ought not fear. The earth shakes, but we shall not be shaken. There is a river, verses 4 and 5, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The earth shakes, but we shall not be shaken. It is because the church is the city of God. We are His holy habitation. This is where the Lord lives. And I'm going to be going back and forth to Revelation 21 and 22 in, in over the next several minutes. And I think this psalm, Psalm 46 is one of our more eschatological psalms in the sense of pushing us, pushing us forward to understand the big picture. Uh, when I say eschatology, eschatology is the study of the last things. But one of the most important things to realize is that these are the end times. Uh, and I'm not saying that like a crazy person. I'm saying that like a boring Presbyterian pastor. I'm saying it like the Apostle Paul. The last 2,000 years have been the end times. We've been waiting 2,000 years. Jesus could have shown up at any minute over the last 2,000 years, and he can show up at any minute over the next 2,000 years, if there are another 2,000 years. Because when Jesus comes back, then the time will be no more, and that's, that's also in Revelation. But Revelation gives us this way to understand what God is doing now and how it's all going to end up. And so this psalm drives me back, back again to Revelation 21 and 22. And the book of Revelation is for me a lot like John Coltrane's A Love Supreme. I don't understand it, but I know that everything is in it. Everything you need to know 
for the life of the church is in Revelation. And so there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. The church has been established by Christ and His apostles. He is our foundation, and she will be perfected in glory. That is the picture that we see in Revelation, and especially towards its end in the last two chapters. Everything shakes. Everything can shake except for God's people. So Revelation 21 Then I saw, verses 1 through 3, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. We are the city of God. We are His holy habitation. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. God is in the midst of her. That river, that river is a river of life which flows from the cross of Jesus Christ and from His throne. Revelation 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. We are now already, we are now already living, living in the city of God. We are drinking from the water that flows from His throne because it is coming from His cross. It is from His work on our behalf. As He has, as he has conquered our enemies, sin and death, He provides for us. He rules over and defends us as our Lord and King. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. And here I'm reminded, one of the passages of Scripture that I have involuntarily memorized, and maybe you have as well, Lamentations chapter 3, verses 21 through 23. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. His mercies to you are new every morning. He is our help in the morning. I think that's the thing for those who are prone to anxiety, to worry. The worst time of day is a nighttime. All right, because it's dark. And you're supposed to be asleep, but you can't sleep. And so the most useful thing that you can do with that time is to worry about everything. Because somehow that's going to help. And, but that's, that's what happens for the anxious person, is at night. But the morning comes. The morning is going to come. Either Jesus is going to come or the morning is going to come. And God is still there. Turns out God wasn't absent during the night either. His mercies are always new for us. They are new every morning. That is our hope. That is our help. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. We are the city of God. She shall not be moved. The earth shakes, but she shall not be moved. The church, the people of God, is a city of God and is a temple of God. It is a city and temple of Jesus Christ. And for that reason... We cannot be shaken. 
Now the nations, but the nations shall be shaken. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. They can rage, the nations can be frantic, but their kingdoms will not last. The word here, uh, nations, is also is the same word that can be translated from the Hebrew as Gentiles. And, and I point that out simply because it helps us remember who the nations are in the Bible. Because if you think Gentile, then you're reminded that Gentile means unbelievers, right? Those who do not follow the true God. And so when we read the nations in the Psalms and in the Old Testament, we ought to think those who do not follow the true God. They can be angry. They can be forceful. They can even attack God's people. They can attack the church. But God's word against them is judgment. God's word to you is comfort. It is good news. I go back to the call to worship, Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. Behold, he is coming in the clouds, and the nations, the nations shall be judged, but we won't. We rejoice to know that he is coming, but they know that they are going to be judged. He utters his voice, the earth melts. So uh, two weeks ago, I think, I came back from vacation, so time has no meaning for me, but I think it was two weeks ago when I preached Psalm 45. In Psalm 45, we have a picture of Christ our Lord as king, but as a king who subdues us to himself, that is, he brings us around to him so that we are no longer rebels, but uh, are his beloved bride, and he rules over us, and we learn how to follow him. In this, this psalm, Psalm 46, brings us to the rest of question, question 26 of, of the catechism, that Christ as our king restrains and conquers our enemies. He restrains, he, 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 he rules over and defends us. He is defending us against them, and he is restraining and conquering his enemies and our enemies. He will defeat them. We have nothing to fear from them because, verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And it's helpful to remember what a fortress is. A fortress, everybody has a picture. I hope everybody has a picture in your head of a fortress. It's like a big castle, right? And you got the parapets and the turrets. I don't know the difference between a parapet and a turret, and probably you don't either, but you know what I'm talking about. And, and like where you can, you can shoot arrows and, and maybe have better ordinance and whatever, but it's safe in there. That's a fortress, okay? You are safe with God. That's why we keep coming back to that. God is our fortress. He defends us. We have nothing to worry about. We need not fear because the Lord of hosts defends us. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. He is our God. And so Psalm 46 wants you to understand that our God is the Lord of all. Behold, verse 8, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. I love the picture of, of verse 6. Come, 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 come. Are you not paying attention? Come, behold, look, see. 
He has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. In our world today, monotheism has won, right? There is, there is one God. And, and then and most people think in a, who think in religious terms at least think monotheistically. And you hear our politicians say that. They'll talk about the different religions in America and how we all worship the same God, but in different ways. But that's not, which is not true, uh, but that's not the worldview of the Bible. The Bible doesn't exist in that world. The, wor- the Bible exists in the world where there's a lot of gods, and we take those other gods seriously in the sense that people actually follow them and they believe in them. And the point that Psalm 46 is making is, Our God is not a local God. He is the God of Israel. He is the God of Jacob. He is the Lord of his people. But more importantly, or along with that at at the very least, all those other gods, they are nothing. Like they're literally nothing. Our God is not a local God who is in charge of Israel or Jacob or his people. He's in charge of everything. He is the Lord of all. And I think, I don't, I don't know how to communicate this so clearly, other than the, the one example that comes to mind, and maybe it's a really bad example, but it's the only example I have right now, is you know, people can talk. Sometimes you hear Christians talk about being outside of God's will. Like, I don't want to be outside of God's will. It is literally impossible to be outside of God's will. Because he is the Lord of all. You can sin. Like if you don't want to be outside of God's will, don't sin. But God is the Lord of all. He is in charge of everything. And he is in control even of those who openly say they don't believe in him. Who openly say they hate the God of the Bible and they hate his people. He's in charge of them as well. He rules over them. He restrains and conquers them. He can wage war against them. He can win wars against them. But more, as the Lord, he will bring all wars to an end. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. We live in a time right now between the two advents of our Lord is, is coming in the flesh and in the incarnation as our, as, as our Lord Jesus and then his coming, his second advent in the end where he will be seen by all the nations in his glory. In this time in between, we live in a time of disease and plague and war and distress. It's coming to an end. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. What you need to see here is not just, is is not peace in the sense of like a hippie John Lennon song, but rather a Lord who brings peace by defeating all of his enemies. There is no, the enemy does not have a bow to shoot arrows against the Lord and against his people because the Lord has broken it. They are brought into submission to him. Their chariots are destroyed so they they will no longer be able to fight against him, but instead must submit to him. 
This is the Lord who brings all war to an end. So remember his great works. Come, behold the works of the Lord. What are the Lord's works? Remember how he defeated you. How did the Lord defeat you, who was his enemy, who hated him, who's born a wicked sinner, who's done, who wants to follow your own will? He went to the cross for your sins, and he died in your place. He brought to death, he put to death the old man. He put to death your old self by dying for your sins. For you died with Christ, and you were risen, you were raised rather to newness of life with him with him on the third day. And in his work, he has defeated death for you and has brought you into eternal life with him, that life that we long for, the life which is our hope. These are the works of the Lord. Behold them. For he has wrought desolation on the earth. The evil one has no power. Satan cannot have the victory. He is already lost. You want to have a definition? A definition of those who are frantic, of those who are running around? It's Satan and the demons. Because they're trying really hard in the present world to get everybody freaked out, to get everybody nervous, and sadly a lot of Christians uh, think that Satan is somebody to worry about. Like, no, 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 no. He's been defeated. If you're not a Christian... Be worried about demons. You have full permission from me. Be worried about demons if you're not a Christian. But if you're a Christian, the dude's been chained. The demons are gone. They're defeated. They have no power. They're running around acting crazy. They're making a lot of movies, apparently. Um, But nothing, nothing, nothing. They have nothing on you. He has wrought desolation on the power of the evil one because he has broken the power of sin because he has defeated death. Death is defeated. Death is defeated because your soul at death will go to be with the Lord and your body will remain in the grave until the resurrection. But you will be raised and therefore death has no power. And it doesn't stop then either. The Lord continues to do great works. He watches over his church. He defends her. Remember the Protestant Reformation. Remember how it was that the church had become corrupt, had given over to wickedness, and the preaching of the gospel had been suppressed. And from Psalm 46 comes one of the great hymns of the Protestant Reformation, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. It doesn't quite have the same message as Psalm 46, so it's sort of like one of those based-on movies that has absolute, bears actually no relation to the actual thing. But, 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 you know, Martin Luther, mighty fortress of God, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. That line, at least, is right out of Psalm 46. It's right out of Psalm 46, because our God is our fortress, and he will triumph through his church. The gospel has been preserved, and so we continue to hear it and to benefit from it. The Lord is still watching over his people. And there's this temptation, this continual temptation to look at the world and say, oh, the devil's in charge, the devil's running everything, we've lost. We won, or rather Christ won, once and for all on the cross. And it is the fools 
are the people who deny that reality. The enemies of the Lord ought to come to their senses. Jesus Christ, against whom they rage, will end all war by crushing them. And so the message to you, beloved, is in verse 10. The purpose, the point of Psalm 46 is right there in verse 10. Be still. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Now in the first place, this is a warning. This is a warning to the nations. Nations understood properly to be those who are outside the church, those who are enemies of the true living God. Revelation 21, again, verses 6 through 8. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. The Lord is victorious. And so to those who are outside, the message comes plainly and clearly. Be right with the Lord. Repent. Because His judgment is coming. His judgment is coming. And the time is now. There is not another moment. These are the end times. This is the last day as far as we know. And so now turn. Now repent. Now be right with this God because He will be exalted. But also is a message to you. It's a message to those who come this morning as Christians to worship your Lord. Here is a call. Here is a message from your God. Stop worrying. Stop being frantic. Stop thinking that everything is come to an, is, is come to an end and we're going to lose and we're going to lose everything. The Lord is in charge. And perhaps this is the time to begin asking yourself, how do you view yourself and how do you view the world around you? Do you view yourself as a Christian with a Christian family who's concerned about the cause of Christ? Or do you view yourself as a member of the church? And that may sound an odd way, an odd dichotomy, an odd um, distinction to make, but it's super important. Because if you're just a Christian, amongst other Christians, you are a constituency in this country. And, and just like other constituencies, like farmers and steel mill workers and all those other whatevers, right? With your own set of interests. This country is not our home. This country will not persist into glory. I mean, it's deeply painful for me to say that as a lifelong American, but it's true. What will persist is the church. 
And do you identify yourself with the church of Jesus Christ? Because this is the habitation of God. This is his holy temple. This is what will endure into glory. And do you understand that you are a part of that? And that is what you have to understand when the Lord says through his word, God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. See, that's our confidence. That is our comfort. It, all sorts of bad things can happen. The earth shakes. The mountains do literally fall into the sea. And it happens to believers too. Christians get wiped out by tidal waves just as much as the wicked do. But the Lord's promises to his people remain. They remain. And so it's not that we serve a local God. You don't serve a hearth God. You know, the, the God that you put on, that you put above your fireplace. You know, you make it out of wood and you put it up there and you say your prayers to it and it gives you stuff, right? That's not the God whom we serve. He's not about you getting ahead in the world and, and, and having a nice car or even a fireplace. He's about his church triumphing and bringing in the nations and subduing the world to Jesus Christ so that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so if you're concerned about the world today, and you should be, what are you praying for? What are you praying for? The scripture teaches us to pray for rulers and kings and authorities, but also teaches us, and more importantly it teaches us, or as a higher priority it teaches us, to pray for the church and for the growth of the church. We pray for mission works, we pray for missionaries so that the church might go forth, so that the enemies of God might be conquered by becoming his friends. That is the conquest that the Lord brings about, is by turning his enemies into his people, into his friends, into his children. That is what we must be praying for. That must be central to us, is to remember that who we are, that we are the church of Jesus Christ. And so be still. Be still and remember that this Lord, this Lord is exalted. He was exalted after, remember, remember what happened. He died on the cross. He was buried. Three days later, he rose from the dead. And then what happened? Spent some time with his disciples, and then he ascended into glory. And there he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from whence he shall come. But if he is there in glory, he is ascended. He is exalted. He is on high. He is ruling. Be still. Be still. Be still. Put your confidence by looking to our exalted Lord. For the Lord of all the earth is with us now. It's not just at the end. The wonderful thing about Revelation is that yes, Revelation does describe the end, but it also describes our present. It tells us now Christ reigns. It tells us now we can rest in him. The Lord of all the earth is with us now. And so this is the message. 
Look to him. Trust in him. Do not fear. Do not fear. What do the angels always say? Fear not. Fear not. Fear not. And so I say to you, beloved, fear not. For behold, I bring you glad tidings of great joy, which will be for all people. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The Lord of hosts is our fortress, beloved. So fear not. Be still and know he is your God. Amen. Our Lord, we give you thanks for who you are, for what you have done. We confess that we are prone to worry. We are prone to anxious running about, to running to and fro as though we could control things, as though we could change this world. Our Lord, we confess that you reign now as you reign, as you will reign visibly at the end. And so we look to you, our King. We rejoice in your triumph. We rejoice in your victory over sin and death. And we pray that as we look to you, that we may rest, that we may be still, and that we would continue to find our security in you, who are our rock, our fortress, and our defender, our king, and the ruler over all the kings of the earth. Amen.